gloomy, mostly Euclidean confines of Castle Gormagon, upon the lofty wind-blasted heights of the Plateau of Lang, I am Confucius the Ecumenical Volgi, and this is Radio Gormagon. Hey everyone, it is the Tsar of Muscovy, and I am going down to the castle basement today. And you know who usually hides down here? Here he is. Hi, Mandarin. How are you? Hello, Tsar. How are you? Excellent. Well, how are you feeling? Are you characteristically inscrutable today? More more so than usual. Better. Even better. Uh, This is great for our listeners who never get to go down to the (laughs) castle basement because we tell them not to. Uh, this is probably one of the most dangerous places you can be. But you know who lives and works down here? It is the Mandarin. And today, um, he and I were, were talking for a little bit because uh, after the last couple episodes where we talked about soccer, we figured our ratings are pretty much at the bottom of the barrel. In the basement. <laughs> pretty much below the basement. Uh, thanks, uh, Gort, and thanks, Pewter, for uh, chasing all of our hard-earned listeners away. It was all right. Uh, now, having said all that, we're going to pick up the ratings by talking about a very popular subject, which is the Second Amendment. Now, I think there's probably about 420,000 podcasts going on right about now uh, about how important it is and how, you know, you don't want to give up your rights on that and, and how, you know, liberals are wrong about this and progressives are backwards on that and the leftists want to do that. You know what? I think our listeners are smart enough. They know all this already. But I'll tell you, one of the things that Mandarin and I have observed, uh, particularly on Twitter, is we are asked questions from time to time, particularly from our women followers who say, hey, I'm thinking of buying my first gun. What should I get? So that led to a real interesting chat that we had uh, that this is kind of a bigger question than you realize. So. Uh, for men and for women and for younger people, and I suppose, yes, dogs too, who are interested in purchasing firearms. Uh, I thought we'd spend a good half hour or so and and tell you what we really think you're getting yourself into. So, one of the things that uh, I'd like to say uh, is what kind of gun should you get? And the answer is, and Mandarin's certainly going to weigh in on his opinion, I think you should get the one that fits comfortably in your hand that's easy for you to use, that you understand how it works, and that at 3 o'clock in the morning when you hear a window break in your house and someone start to climb through it, you know exactly where it is, how to grab it, and how to use it. Any other advice that we give you is really going to be time-wasting. Mandy, any thoughts? I totally agree. And one of the biggest things about that is, like you said 100%, if you don't know how to use it, if you're not comfortable using it, you're not going to be able to do it under stress and under arrest. Yeah, you're not going to use it, right. Yeah. So, ladies, in particular, when you ask what kind of gun should I get and you ask the Twitter sphere and all of these guys get on there and tell you you need to get specifically a Glock Model 19 or no, you need to get a Smith & Wesson M&P Shield or no, you need to get a 357 Magnum 38 Special uh, rounds. Plasma rifle in the 40-watt range. You know, stop listening to them. I know they're trying to be helpful. That's what they use. That's what they like. You need to go to a range find an instructor and there are tons of women instructors i I understand that totally women tend to train much better under women the truth is and i think most guy shooters will acknowledge this too is that women tend to be much better shots than men because they do what they're told and men do not like to do what they're told at the range they like to show off um get an instructor and try out a huge variety. Ranges rent them. They, they will rent you any caliber that you want or any caliber that you've heard. Uh, and then you will probably find that the ones that people recommend it to you don't really fit in your hand. The recoil is really uncomfortable or the grip digs into your skin or it feels kind of heavy at the front end and you really don't think that you're gonna wanna carry this around on you, uh, then you're right. Keep trying, keep looking, you will find one that fits perfectly, is balanced, and that you can handle the recoil, and as Mandy said, you can pull that thing up, level it, pull the trigger, and it's going to fire dead center for you. And you know, sir, I think, you know, it also applies for men. You know, there's a certain amount of bravado out there that, oh, I'm going to get the biggest, you know, Colt 45, or, or I'm going to get, like you said, a 357 or a 44 Magnum, 
And then again, they go to shoot that thing, and it's uncontrollable, or they spend any time at the range with it. First of all, the ammunition is expensive. Second of all, the recoil is punishing, like you said, and you're not going to train with it like you should. And it's better to have a 22 long rifle round in a pistol revolver that you can actually manage the recoil, get on target, and hit, hit what you're trying to shoot than something that's going to be loud, explosive, un, unwieldy, the muzzle flip's going to be unmanageable, and you're going to probably do more harm than good to yourself. You're totally right. You're absolutely right. In fact, I'm going to ask you for your opinion on this one. What percentage of Taurus judge owners sell their weapon within five years? Oh, I would say probably 90% of them. (laughs) You know, it's a great gimmick gun. I mean, it's it's fun to shoot once if you're running it out of the case. But to own it, it's going to be one of those things where you can't carry it. It's far too large for concealed carry. It's, you know, and and again, if I've, I've watched enough demonstrations of you know ballistics gels test and you know just general shooting test that 410 even the critical defense 410 rounds you know little plates that come out and a little you know a couple of bbs behind them it really isn't a kind of stopping power it's really dispersed i think it kind of defeats the purpose and then you go ahead and shoot you know the colt you know 45 colt long rifle round through it, you might as well just get a, a gun chamber that to begin with and be done with it. I mean, it's, it's just, it's it's a fun gimmick, and I'm not a bashing Taurus. I know Smith & Messon makes the same kind of gun. I think they call it the Defender instead of the, the Judge. It's not a, a shot against Taurus. I think it's just that style of firearm, I think, is one of those <laughs> no, range Taurus, gimmicks. Taurus made a pile of money off people with that thing. Absolutely. Um, quick comment I want to make, and then I've got uh, a great question for, for Mandarin. Uh, quick comment is, uh, hey, ladies, I'm, I'm being straight up with you. Women shooters are a real thing, okay? If you go to a, your local gun store, you go to a range, you go to a gun show, you go to any of the uh, the open houses that the NRA sponsors around the country, which, by the way, are, are generally free to get into, um, and they'll show you everything you want to know, um, the number of women shooters is much, much higher than you think. In fact, uh, when my wife got into shooting, and Mandarin, I think uh, your wife, uh, Lady Mandarin, has has a very similar story, that when you go to a range for the first time, when she went to a range for the first time, she was astonished that there were probably a half dozen women in there, either working behind the counters or, or browsing the merchandise. Uh, this idea that gun stores or ranges or gun shows are all these old guys uh, heavily tattooed. Yeah, you will see those guys there. I'm, I'm not going to lie to you. Um, the the clientele is very different than you would expect. It's very diverse. Uh, people of color. There are uh, young and old, and and men and women, and the, you know the big military types to to people in the little uh, hover around chairs. Uh, it's it's everything. It is it is probably the most interesting pastime of the number of people that it incorporates into it so don't be intimidated to go by yourself even i'm i'm telling you you're gonna you're gonna thank us later and i think a lot of that whole uh, issue with people thinking it's just a a white man hillbilly shooting at the range comes from that anti-second amendment movement where they want to characterize yep the average shooter as, as just that the redneck the hillbilly the disgruntled white male like you said yeah, it's they're a not all pewter no, they're not. Well, I wouldn't say perverts, but but yeah, yeah I, mean, I mean, it, it is a diverse community. Like you said, everything from your your plumber to your surgeon to you know your attorney to your school teacher. Shooting's a very large sport. It re- it really is. And I think you know there's that misper- misconception or, or false perception out there that you know every a gun owner is is a prepper, and they're got, they've got the bunker, and they've got five million rounds of ammunition, and they've got an arsenal of every single weapon you can think of. There's five of each, and you know there are people like that out there. They like to collect guns. They diverse. like to be, they like, to be, they like, to be they like to be um prepared. But there are other people that it is a sport. It's an Olympic sport. They go out there. They they do whether it's three, you know three gun or it's trap shooting, skeet shooting, biathlon, whatever it is. There's a huge diverse shooting community out there and there's everything something for everyone out there whether right. your your thing is cowboy action shooting you want to have the old west single shooter and the lever action gun there's those kinds of competition there's just there's hunters there's i mean there's a whole plethora of activities 
leagues that you can get involved with, and it really is a community. I think that's what a lot of people don't understand. You know, they only see the negative when there's a shooting or it, there's a gang violence on the street. They don't realize that that's a small fraction of the overall gun ownership in the country and legal gun ownership and of the community as, as a whole. Most gun owners are upstanding citizens. I mean, if you look at the statistics from the FBI and just in general, you know, concealed carry holders are more law-abiding than law enforcement personnel. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's, it's just, I think so, because you've gone through the trouble, especially anyone with a concealed carry license. I mean, I have one myself. You go through the trouble and the, the, the certification, you don't want to do something stupid to lose that privilege because it really is a privilege. I'll, I'll, I know people are going to gnash their teeth and rend their clothes when I say, you know, oh, God, it's, how can you say it's a privilege? It's, a, it's, a, it's your right to own a firearm. I get that. But realistically, you need a license to do it. I mean, it's, the law is the law. You know, you want to work hard to maintain that license and to get it, and you don't want to do anything stupid. So you'll find that most gun owners are responsible people. And again, like anything, you're going to get the person who doesn't understand it. You probably shouldn't leave a gun sitting on the, on the counter when you've got three-year-old kids in a the house. There's always going to be some jerk that, that's out there doing those kinds of things. But in most of those circumstances, it's probably not a legally owned firearm to begin with. You know, so yeah, a question for you. Go ahead. Actually, it's, uh, I know this is one of your hot topics. <laughs> uh, well, you know, we've talked about, and hopefully you and I have convinced at least a couple of people to go out and, and purchase a firearm. To, to not be scared, to not be hesitant, but th these are your words, uh, so I'm going to quote them back at you. Uh, I bought a gun, now what? Yes, yeah, that's exactly right. You bought a gun, now what? Now what do you do with it? You know, and a lot of people think that I'm going to buy a gun, I'm going to be safe. I'm going to defend myself. It's going to make me not longer be a victim. And while that's a great sentiment, that's probably the farthest thing from the truth. Just buying that inanimate object doesn't make you proficient, doesn't make you any more safe. No, diff no different than me buying a sports car makes me a NASCAR driver. Well, I've got four, four areas that I'd like you to answer the question in. I'll give you the four categories now, but uh, we'll go through them one at a time and take as much time as you want. On let, me, let, me, yeah, let me write this down. <laughs> no, 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 no. I'll, 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 I'll go back to it. Don't worry. Okay. Uh, the first is... Uh, the difference between training and going to the range. The second are the me mental aspects of owning a firearm. The third is the physical aspects of owning a firearm. And finally, there is something I call the legal aspects or dealing with the af aftermath of an actual shooting. So um, I think, you know, I bought a gun, now what can be answered by four different ways uh, right there. So let's take that first one. Let's talk about the difference in your eyes training versus just going to the range? Well, again, there's, it's a huge difference. And I think both are, both are equally valuable and both have their places. You know, again, most people, especially when they first buy that firearm, they're going to go into the range. They're going to go to a local gun range, sit, go to the stall, nice bench in front of them. They're going to load the weapon. They're going to learn how to manipulate the weapon. They're going to put the target out, you know, 10, 20, 30 feet out. And they're going to learn how to obtain a sight picture. They're going to learn how to manipulate the weapon, how it recoils, how it fires. You know, they're going to learn all of the characteristics of the weapon. They're going to become proficient in how to, again, acquire that sight picture, use the sights, and be consistent in their shot placement and their grouping. It's a valuable technique. It's a valuable skill. But that isn't the same as training. Again, it's a static exercise. Training, going out and taking a course where you actually learn how do you move the weapon, how do you fire on the move? How do you fire from concealment? How do you fire from cover? What happens if that weapon malfunctions? How do you clear that malfunction? How do you load under duress and reload the weapon? Those are very important things because, you know, nothing, no, nobody's going to stand there, threaten you. You're going to pull out your gun, get in your, you know, weaver stance or isolate stance or your whatever, and, you know, fire. It's going to be a very dynamic situation, you know, in most cases where somebody is coming at you. You need to be able to react and be almost have to be instinctive and muscle memory, you know, takes over at that point. And it's something that, although you'll learn how to manipulate the weapon and work with it on a range, 
unless you have that actual physical training where you're learning how to fire under duress, to move, to shoot well, at different targets, it, it makes a big difference. It makes a huge difference. It's almost as if uh, an analogy I might draw, and a specific one I want to draw, is the difference between, say, standing in a batting, ca batting cage and actually facing a live pitcher. Uh, and the reason I brought that up is because I know that that's something Pewter hasn't done either of. <laughs> uh, it was very clear in the last podcast. He's, he's never set foot on a baseball diamond. Uh, now, having said all that, uh, you're, you're right. You're right. It's, uh, you know, I think the range is massively useful, particularly for a beginner, to get, like, like you said, to get the feel of the weapon, to learn to overcome your fear of the recoil and the bang. And, you know, I think you've experienced this, too, with first-time shooters just as much as I have is their response is almost immediately at the range is, you know, that wasn't as bad as I thought. You know, when you, when you first pull that trigger, uh, you know, your, your hands are sweaty, you're nervous, you're shaking. Um, but then when you, you actually do successfully pull the trigger and, and the gun fires at the range, you know, it's an empowering feeling. But that, to your point, that's not the end of it. And I want to talk a little bit, too, or ask you about the mental aspects of uh, a shooting situation. What, how do you psychologically prepare yourself for for everything and i know this is a big topic because it does get into a little bit of the prepping thing but yeah and you know and, and and one of the things that it's, it's always bothered me is you'll you hear the guy well i'm just gonna shoot the guy that comes to my house ah somebody comes to my house they're dead i'm gonna shoot them i'll, I'll put a bullet right in their head and you know i i get the bravado i get the you know everybody wants to be they think they're gonna do this this is what they think they're gonna do you know it's like the old adage everybody has a plan in a fight until they get punched in the face. Yeah, the Mike Tyson law, right? Yeah, everything and, everything, and everything changes. And that's why, you know, you've got to understand, it's not just, okay, you're going to shoot somebody. Okay, that's great. But I don't think most people realize there is a traumatic after effect. The shooting takes a second. The after aftermath and the mental anguish that you're going to feel no matter how much the person, in your opinion, deserved to get shot, is going to linger with you. Unless you're some sociopath, I don't know how, you know, it, it's just going to roll off your back and you think you're going to go on. Life is going to be different from, for you forever. And it's not just so much the mental aspect, but there's a lot of other things that happen. It's not just you either. If you're in your home and you have to, God forbid, shoot someone in your home, you got to remember your family may be in that house. While you may be psychologically prepared, how's your family prepared for that? Are they going to be understand understand what happened? You know, are they going to be like, why did you shoot that guy? Why didn't you scare him away? And that's you know that's the thing that you know it, it sounds great to say, well, I'm going to defend myself, and you should defend yourself. Don't misconstrue what I'm saying here. But I I, I again, you'll see it on YouTube, and YouTube is one of the greatest tools and one of the worst things that's ever happened to the firearms community. Whether it's and, and again, this is true of mar the martial arts community the firearms community, the knife community. You've got experts and you've got wannabe experts that are going to tell you stuff that's going to get you more, either going to get you killed or in such legal hot water. It's just not, you know, it's not worth it. And unfortunately for a new person coming into this, I want to say community, it's sometimes hard to discern what's, what's worthwhile and what's going to get you in trouble. Yeah. If but, you don't mind, I'd like to talk a little bit about that. Um, I, I don't know if I'm cutting you off on that. No, you're not. Go ahead. I, uh, there's, there's a couple of things I want to talk about. One is how to spot bad advice and how to spot good advice. And uh, just thinking on this, you know, kind of off the cuff, I came up with um, one idea that uh, how to spot bad advice, anything that is overly specific is probably bad advice. If someone tells you, you know, you want to get an AR-15 that has direct impingement action, that's bad advice. There's nothing wrong with direct impingement. Uh, it's, it's, and what that refers to as a, a method, there, there's generally two ways that an AR-15 rifle can, can handle the exchange of gas to, to kind of push the bolt carrier group back and reset the round, et cetera, et cetera. When you're getting that technical with somebody that you're, you're able to make a distinction, that's bad advice. A beginner is not going to know or care what any of that means. And to be honest with you, I think that most people, if you handed them an AR-15 that had one or the other, they can't tell you what the action is unless they knew going in. Uh, yes. Another one, yeah, is, is broad generalizations. And you hear this all the time. Oh, 9 millimeter sucks as a round. 45 is absolutely the best round you want to get. 
uh, those are broad generalizations, and it tells me that this is a person that does not have a lot of experience shooting a lot of different calibers correctly. Uh, I know there's a lot of guys out there that hate 9mm that are probably going to send me emails saying 9mm uh, does suck as a round. And I do know how to shoot, and I've you know done this, and I've done that, and I, you know, I get it. I hear what you're saying. But the thing is, I don't know if anyone ever taught you how to shoot a 9mm correctly. It's the same thing with a 380. It's the same thing with a 40. Uh, one of the things that I will uh, acknowledge Mandarin, for example, does is I think he's fired nearly every caliber there is and uh, has good things and bad things to say about each. Another uh, sign of bad advice are questionable references. When someone says to you things like, well, you know, the FBI looked at that in 1986 and they concluded, were you there? Were you part of the study? Are you in the FBI? That's a questionable reference. You're just quoting something that you've heard or read. You weren't part of the study. Um, you know, you're basically trusting the mainstream media for the accuracy of your statement. And I think most of our listeners are already giggling at, uh, at what that implies. Uh, finally, the last piece of bad advice I, I think it's easily to spot is um, someone that has any insufficient time or inexperience uh, that are giving you advice. Uh, there's a, a phrase that Mandarin and I use, a code word that we use called Bravo Tangos. Uh, yeah, he's, he's laughing here. Uh, the big talkers. Yeah, big talker, the Bravo Tango. Um, you know, I'll, I'll give you a quick example that we heard a couple of youthful guys at a gun show once um, commenting about how terrible a weapon a particular model was. They had it there, it was on display, and, and this, this young guy, probably about 18 or 19, is telling his buddy, who's about 19 or 20, what a terrible weapon it is. And it became very clear to us, eavesdropping on this conversation, he was basing his comment on a video game. And, yep. it, you know, that's, that's not experience, folks. Um, you know, and I've heard a lot of people, um, I'm going to be blunt here, there's four types of shooters in my mind, okay? You've got your military shooters, you've got your law enforcement shooters, you've got your hunters, and your home defense shooters. If you're in one of those categories, you're probably not in the other three. I, you know, I, I can't tell you how many law enforcement folks we know who came out of the military and found that they had to completely retrain how they shoot because, you know, the military holds a weapon this way, law enforcement holds it that way, you know, like a pistol. Uh, you know, the, the, uh, the law enforcement likes to use what's called the soul position where they point it kind of down towards their feet, which makes sense because when you're entering into a house, when there's four or five or six of you, uh, you know, responding to an incident, you're all rushing through a doorway at the same time. You don't want to put your barrel against the back of the head of the guy in front of you. So you point it down at your feet. That's a terrible thing to do when you're by yourself. Um, you know, and, and military is used to going in with teams, with bounding overwatch, where this guy comes in this way and says, clear, the next guy comes in and he takes a different corner and says, clear, and you kind of creep uh, each one watching the other. Hunters have a totally different perspective on shooting. Uh, from, say, the home defensive person. So, well, you can get pretty good advice and techniques from military, law enforcement, or hunters. If your goal is home defense, you need to keep those guys, listen to what they say, but kind of keep them at arm's reach because they, they may not be giving you practical advice. Yeah. Now, and let's talk real quick about... Well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to jump back on two things real quick. So sure. I want to circle back to the mental aspect, but real quick, there are great resources out there for the beginning shooters you know, on, on YouTube. And what I recommend is until you kind of get your feet wet and really can weed out what's good and what's bad, I'd recommend it. You know, you go to the manufacturer's websites, whether that's Smith & Wesson, whether that's Springfield, whether that's Glock, whether that's SIG, they've got resources out there on the web that'll, if nothing else, maybe it's your specific weapon. They show you how to clean them. They show you how to operate them. And they have some training videos. Rob Pincus, uh, Personal Defense Network, is another yeah, fantastic one. USCCA, the United States Concealed Carry Association, they've Absolutely, got great training videos over there. Those are reputable sources. You know, the NRA has great resources. They can help you out. And, and organizations like the NRA, your local or, um, gun organizations, you know, state-run, state-level organizations can also get you in touch with good training resources, or at least tell you which ones are reputable in your area. But going back to the mental aspects. Well, before we do that, though, we gotta, we're going to have to take a quick break, but I do want to uh, just how to spot good advice, and you touched on all of it right there. So when you hear advice, how do you know it's good? One, it's balanced. You know, you, they're going to give you both sides of the, of the discussion. 
Two, listen for cautionary language like maybe or could. You know, that might be a good choice for you, but, or sometimes you'll find this is the case. That's usually the sign that you're getting good advice and experienced advice because, you know, an expert can kind of tell you both sides where it works and where it doesn't. And also, very importantly, listen for advice that's simple to understand. That's, that's exactly what Mandarin was just talking about. When uh, someone explains to you about, uh, you know, the, the drift compensation or, or how you're handling recoil with, you know, if you don't understand what that means, that's not good advice. When someone says to you, oh, well, you hold it like this because this is what this part does, and you say, oh, now I get it, that's good advice. Now, and, and, any, yeah. uh, real quick, and, and again, that first example it may be very sound tactical advice and very sound training, but again, like the Sars says, if it's not understandable to you, it's not, it's worthless to you. Right. Well, now we got to take a quick break. Uh, today's uh, commercial, folks, is sponsored by the Indiana University of Northwest Indiana. Uh, you can achieve anything you want in life, and now you can also get a degree in it. The Indiana University of Northwest Indiana is now offering majors in the following: dental radiology. Intersociogenomics, geodesic analysis, veterinary orthodontia, Minecraft, gun repair, advanced shrubbery, shark spotting, grocery bagging, lawn raking, socialism, party games, podcasting, gun repair, romance novels, advanced romance novels, the Charleston, advanced hammocks, Shakespearean foppishness, ecumenical bulgism, uh, necromancy. Is it necromancy or necromancy? I think it's necromancy. Necromancy? I don't know. Uh, sitting shiv, clown juggling, that's a good one, breast spotting, and something for pewter, gun repair, and social work. Any others? Not that I can think of. Well, if you name it, you can earn it. At the Indiana University of Northwest Indiana, call 574 583 4141. I'll give you that number again backwards, 1414-385-475 for a complete list of majors or call in and submit ideas of your own. It sounds like an education is right within your reach. Uh, or or however short that is. Yes. Um, okay, so uh, let, we're back and I want to get back to uh, the mental aspects, the physical aspects, and the legal aspects of shooting. Also, so uh, you want to talk about the... Uh, Shit hits the fan scenarios too. Yeah. So we're going back to the mental aspects. Now we've talked about, okay, you, are you prepared to shoot someone? I think part of that mental training is in your mind, running through that scenario and figuring out what is your game plan. Because I think the best way to mentally prepare for an encounter is to understand what that encounter is going to look like. Now, there's no way to fully imagine a scenario because everything's going to be different based on time of day, amount of sleep. Are you, are you getting out of bed? Are, there, are the kids in bed with you? Or are they in the rooms? There's a million things that are going to variables that come into play here, but it's very important. I mean, if you're, if you're planning on getting a weapon for home defense, you need to have a few things mentally prepared beforehand. One, what is your real goal here? Now I, I chafe at some of the recommendations that, you know, you hear a crash, you know, downstairs, somebody's in there, and you're going to grab your gun, and you're going to go downstairs, you're going to confront someone, or you're going to sweep the house. Again, your mileage may vary, and this is my opinion. I think that is poor advice. I think it's a poor tactic. I think especially if you have a family in, there, in your home, if all the bedrooms are upstairs, your first goal is to gather your family into one spot in a barricade in place. As you're doing that, your wife or your, or your husband or whoever with you in, the, in this room should be on the phone to the police. Your goal is to barricade yourself in, that sp in, in some secure area with that firearm and as a last resort, somebody's coming in into that room with you to then defend yourself. I know it doesn't sound macho. I know people are going to say, well, that's bullshit. You know, the guy broke my house. He forfeits his life. You know, I, I get it. I personally think that's a poor strategy. You put yeah, yourself in danger. And it but, may be illegal, too, based on the, the situation yeah. that you're in. And, and again, it's already a dangerous situation. Your adrenaline's going to be pumping. No matter how much you've trained or gone to the range, it's totally different when you're engaged in a situation. Every and, time it's different, too. Every time. And, again, your, your goal, if you're really looking to defend your family, because that's the other thing, too, is 
okay, I'm going to shoot somebody. He comes to my house, I'm going to shoot the guy. Well, do you understand that, you know, I come out of my, my, my house is laid out. If I came out of my, my bedroom and there's somebody at the top of the stairs and I, I open fire, I miss. You know, I've got kids' bedrooms right behind that person. They're right in the line of fire. So you've got to be very cognizant of wh wh where you're at. So mentally, you've got to prepare a game plan and have an idea of this is what's going to happen. This is what we need to do. I mean, I have an alarm system at home. You know, my goal is I don't want the guy even to break in. I want to make that house as, as you know, unforeboding or unpalatable as possible for to break into. The lights are on. There's an alarm system. Again, the last resort is, you know, we're going to get into a gunfight, and that's the last you, thing I want to do. You don't need to be the fastest gazelle in the herd to outrun the lion. You just can't be the slowest. Correct. So harden your target uh, or harden your house a little bit and, and let them go to easier pickings because they'll find them. Correct. You know, and, again, there's nothing wrong with being very verbose. I mean – if somebody broke into the house, my first goal is, I mean, we've got lights on. I always keep a light on in, in the main foyer hallway. I want the house to be illuminated. I'm not going to be sneaking around in the dark because I, I know my home. I know the layout. I'm familiar with it. Even with the lights on, that person breaking in isn't familiar with, with the home. There's still, there's still a little element of surprise on my part. I'm going to be very verbose. I'm going to let them know, look, I'm giving you the opportunity to step outside and get out because I am armed. I am willing to take that, that step. You know, you need to leave. Yeah, the fact that the law might protect you in that situation and probably would doesn't mean it's the right thing to do. Absolutely. So, unless you have anything, anything else on this topic, I'm going to go to my next point, which is physical fitness for self-defense. Listen up, Pewter. Yep, yeah, yeah, Pewter. Oh, God. <laughs> so, here's the thing. You know, there's the old saying, you know, the, the gun is a great equalizer. In the hands of you know a hundred pound man, it makes him the equal of, of someone that's larger than he is. And in some respects, that's true. It is it is an advantage. It is is a tool to give you an advantage over an attacker over someone else. But it's not just enough to be to have that weapon like we talked about before. You've got to be in good physical shape because there are going to be times when you know we talk about self defense. You're not always going to have your weapon. What do you do in those situations? Whether you're a concealed carry holder, you know, you're not going to go into a courthouse with that weapon. You're not going to, you're a certain place. You just can't take the weapon with you. Whether it's a knife or, or anything, you know, you're going to be disarmed. How do you take care of yourself? And again, it's not so much I need to go take you know judo lessons or I need to go take jujitsu lessons. Those are great activities. They're great for building great stamina. They're also good for giving you an idea of what really is going to happen when somebody attacks you. I mean. Things like jujitsu and judo, they're very hands-on. It's you know you're trying to throw somebody, they're trying to throw you. It's 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 where the rubber hits it's the road. It's a real struggle. It's a real struggle, exactly. And, and it, going to the range and actually getting trained. Getting trained, exactly. You know that's as close as you're going to get to an actual fight without suffering, you know, legal consequences, so to speak. So it, it's a very important. And the other thing too is, you know, we talk about self-defense. It's not so much being able to fight. It's also being able to get out of the situation. And that's whether that's, you know, just running away from an attacker or I've got to evacuate an area. If I'm way overweight or I've got certain physical limitations, it's going to be more difficult for me to, to, to escape the situation or to move properly. So, I mean, I understand as we get older, injuries crop up or flare up. We just don't move the way we used to. But if you can keep yourself in some good semblance of shape, it's going to make a huge difference. In keeping your, you know, your adrenaline down, you're, you're calm when something happens. It's very important. Again, if you're 300 pounds overweight, you haven't the, the most exercise you've got is from the couch to the refrigerator. You're probably not going to do as well as you think you are when somebody comes to the house. No matter what kind of gun you got on you. And it's just, it sounds. I'm not trying to be, you know, discriminatory against anyone who's overweight or out of shape. But those are things that, again, just like the mental aspects. You need to have that physical wherewithal to be able to endure the encounter, whether it's physically encountering somebody you're trying to grab onto you or whatever, or just the adrenaline, the the stress of the situation, just to keep yeah, making yeah. sure that you're able to survive it. Um, you know, and, and going just even beyond the physical conditioning, I mean, if you're a heavy sleeper, um, probably going to be real easy for somebody to get into your house without you even knowing about it. 
another, you know, another thing that, that drives me crazy, uh, and I don't want to get off down or get, get into a rabbit hole on this one with you because, you know, we could talk for two hours just on this alone, but um, there, are, there are the people that um, they do it. They buy the gun, they learn how to shoot it, and they either jam at the bottom of a purse, which is, uh, you know, in the front hallway or in the kitchen, uh, you know, or, uh, you know, they, they get the air 15, they love it. They put it in the case and they, they put it, uh, in the far corner of the basement underneath, uh, some painting tarps. Um, that's not going to be there when you need it. Nope. You may have to fight your way to your gun. For sure. For sure. And, you know, and another thing too, in the whole physical, physical fitness, you know, whether it's again, exercise or being involved in what I call a combat sport, whether it's jujitsu, judo or any martial art. For that matter, you know, it really, you know, we talk about training on the range. We talk about, you know, seeing install. We talk about going the, maybe a course where you're moving off the X, you're, you're going behind cover and everything else. How many people actually will take their firearm and multiple firearms, depending on what you have, because you may grab your AR-15 one day, but you may only have your, you know, pistol on you another day yeah, and you're in another room of the party. house. Yeah, you're in another part of the house, exactly. Or you grab your shotgun. Now, every one of those weapons is totally different. Now, how do you move through the home? You know, I wouldn't do this with, you know, well, the kids around, or, you know, maybe when the family's away, you've got Very some time at home. Birthday party. Yeah, yeah. exactly. But, you know, they have guests enjoy that a lot. But, you know, grab those weapons, take your AR-15, and really see, well, how am I going to clear this? Now, going down this narrow hallway, how do I turn? If I go to turn, I'm going to hit the wall. You know, what are the blind spots? Yeah, exactly. But, but just moving through the home, you know, what, what are the limitations? Am I sticking the barrel out too far? You know, how do I move through with my, my pistol? How do I move through right. with a shotgun? It's a longer barrel. Those are things that, again, you don't want to figure this out when somebody's breaking into the house. Yeah, for sure. The guy that is in your house, um, he's going to find those blind spots really fast, especially if he thinks that you're armed. So he's going to be one step ahead of you. So you need to be two steps ahead of him by knowing where all those blind spots are. And knowing how to how to how pie a corner and how to, you know, sweep around it and 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 get it and find and acquire your target before he does. And I just realized we can get a uh, a degree in podcasting. That's on the list. Yeah, and gun repair. Yeah, we could be a doc get a doctorate in this. Oh man, I've always wanted to be a doctor. Oh well, yeah, Doctor <laughs> Jay's a doctor, but that's a real doctor. Oh, what? Other aspects to. Some people may say, well, that seems like a lot of work. And that's, that's the thing is you really do have to work at this. Nothing comes easy. You know, I, I think most people know who know me or have listened to other podcasts or things. I do practice judo and jujitsu. And it's, it's a constant struggle. And what I mean by that is no matter – that right? that's, that's right. You learn something new every day, every day. And you learn it every time you go to work out. You know, one day you feel great and you can do any technique you want and you can dominate the other guys you're working out with. There are other days you go in there, you've got a nagging injury, you're not feeling that well, you had a crappy day at work, and things just aren't clicking. But you work through that and it makes you understand that, you know, not everything's going to go your way. Not everybody's going gonna to be picture perfect. You're going to go and do something and things are going to mess up. It's how you react to that, that screw up. You know, what happens when that weapon jams? What happens when you go to do your reload and you drop the magazine? We, those are things that you really want to practice. Now, again, when you do these things, obviously on any range you go to, the range safety officers are going to be there. You're going to want to listen to the commands. They're going to watch, make sure you're doing things in a safe manner. When you're training on your own, those safety rules become even more important. And so if you're going to do these exercises in your home, you're going to want to make sure that weapon is clear. That if you're going to put a magazine, it is a fully unloaded magazine. You know, it's a totally you know empty magazine, and the chamber is clear. You're going to want to have a you know again, cycle the weapon. You're going to want to make sure that you know as you're going through the house, you're going to drop the magazine, put another one in. You know, practice that under you know under the conditions that you think you're going to be exposed to. But again, it's very important that you keep up with the training. And again, one class isn't going to make it. You know, these are things that you've got to go and do on a fairly regular basis. I'm not saying every week, but the more you practice, the more opportunities you get to train, 
the better it is. And again, I would recommend taking the same training over and over. You know, you take that pistol one class, then you go to the pistol two class, and then you'll find that you know maybe I do want to take a, a tactical carbine or carbine class or w whatever it is, just to make sure that you're getting out there and you're getting better. And the nice thing about doing these classes or even just going to the range with where they have a range master, you know, I'm I think I'm a fairly good shot. I think I've got a fairly good acumen when it comes to using weapons. You do. I'm you the do. first, but I'm the first person when the range master says, "Hey, I notice you're doing X, or I notice you're, you know, your foot's in this position." It's no different than I'm at working out a judo. I know how to throw every throw there is on a list. I can throw them all, but at the same time, there are certain days you're working on a throw and you don't realize because you've done it so many times that maybe today I'm not getting that foot around all the way, or I'm not, you know, getting the right kazushi, the right off balancing. You listen to the other, the other guys working out with you because they can see it. You can't see what you're doing. They've got that perspective where they can see exactly, you know, the way you're holding the weapon or, you know, you're, we notice, you know, you're on the trap range. We notice that you keep, all of a sudden you're missing because you're stopping the gun. You're not following through with the clay. That's me totally right there. But, but, but again, those are things where you get, you, you listen to advice. And again, you're always going to get the one guy once in a blue moon is going to tell you, Hey, this is what you need. I, I'll tell a quick anecdote real quick. I was at the rain or at the, um, gun store one day. I wanted to buy some ammunition. I wanted to get some. Hornady Critical Defense. Not that I shouldn't use a brand name, but whatever. I want to get the Critical Defense ammunition for my my concealed carry weapon. And Hornady also makes the Critical Duty ammunition. Well, this particular store has them basically sitting side by side on the shelf. So I, I see the Critical Defense ammunition on the shelf, but I'm also looking at some other brands. I said, yeah, I'm going to go with the Hornady. I go up, I reach, I grab the box, walk up to the counter, put it down, and the gentleman behind the counter says to me, he says, are you sure you want the critical duty? I said, oh, I grabbed the wrong box. Well, there's a gentleman behind me, and I use that term loosely, who basically goes in his tire, no, no, you want the critical duty, you want it's going to punch right through the door, you know, you, you know, this is what you want, you don't want that, you know, pussy ammunition. And I'm like, I, I appreciate your advice, thanks. I stopped it right back. I, I walked out of line, put the box back out, what I wanted, the critical defense, yeah, walked back up. Broad generalization. Yeah, and I walked back, put the box down, and the guy behind the counter was like, I always like the guys who think that, you know, they're, gonna, they're, they're Rambo and they're going to, like, shoot it out with the government. I said, yeah, I get it. I get it. Yeah, but that's, that's a prime example of someone who, you know what, dude, I don't know what your issue is. Go ahead, spout off, but I know what I want. I know what I need, and I don't need that kind of advice. But you're going to get that, like I said, there's always going to be that one in a crowd, but that's a very small percentage of the people you're going to encounter in the gun community. Well, that was a pretty good conversation. I would hope that our uh, listeners will uh, write in or drop us some lines, Twitter, uh, Gmail. I think we are on, on that. Is that, is that what it is? is it, no, we are at no gormagons.com. Gormagons.com. Come on now. Yeah, obey him. Obey me. Uh, and we have two more topics to go over, so don't 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 end us yet. Oh, oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, go ahead. Take but it. so, two things I want to talk about real quick is what is, what happens in that aftermath of a situation. I'm a firm believer in um, concealed carry insurance, and I I'll be um, under full disclosure. I'll admit that I have insurance to the United States Concealed Carry Association. I'm not endorsing them. I'm not saying you that's what one you need to get. There's U.S. Law Shield or other organizations out there offered. I felt that was just the one that I, I felt was the best for my situation, my budget, and what I, you know, what they offered. And it's very important that no matter how justified you are in a self-defense situation, there are going to be legal consequences. There are going to be legal, legal ramifications. You know, as far as the police know, even though you may be the one that calls, and this is very important, even if you don't fire the weapon, if you're in an altercation, and you draw that weapon, you present that weapon, you better be the first one on the phone calling the police. Because what's yep. going to happen is you don't call the police. You think, oh, I scared the guy away. I put, I put the gun away. Next thing you know, there's a knock on your door. The police are going to say, would you like to step outside and put your hands behind your back? Because all they've got is that person's story. Now, he may have tried to rob you. He may have been threatening to you. But he called the police and said, this guy came up to me, pull out a gun. So... It's very important that whether you, again, whether you fire that weapon or not, the minute you present it, show it, understand you've opened a whole can of legal, you know, legal ramifications that you're going to have to deal with. So it's very important that you call the police right away. 
explain the situation, explain what happened. And what's nice about these you know, insurance programs is that they really do you know, provide that assistance because not most people don't walk around with their attorney's number in their pocket. Most people don't even have an attorney. They maybe have had legal dealings because they closed on a home or maybe they put their will together. Most people do that through legal Zoom or whatever nowadays. So one of these one of the couple of services these organizations offer is, you know, when you make that phone call to them after you call the police, is they're going to tell you, here's what you're going to say, here's what you don't say. Here's an attorney, we're going to get them on the phone for you. You know, they're going to help you out with, God forbid, if you, get, you are taken into custody with bail and those legal fees. Now, obviously, if it's, a, if it's not a justified shooting, if it's an illegal, you know, something you've done, it's illegal, they're probably not going to cover that. But again, if it's a self-defense situation, they are going to help you out because there's going to be legal you know, and civil consequences because, you know, no matter how in the right you were, the perpetrator's family may not feel that way. They may figure, well, I'm going to sue this guy because he shot my son, even though my son was trying to rob him or whatever. You know, those are things that you, you, you want to be prepared for. And it's a huge out-of-pocket cost. It's far, you know, it's one of those things that's probably never going to happen to you, hopefully. But if it does... It's no different than car insurance. I don't think I'm going to get in a car accident, but I'm glad I have it when I do. So, again, it's not mandatory, but it's, I think it's just a good recommendation to, if you're going to be a concealed carry permit holder, and even if you're going to do it in your home, your homeowner's insurance is going to cover you on this. You need some other type of insurance that's going to be geared toward that defensive shooting situation. And like I said, I think it's, it's important that, you, you take that step. You know, you've gone all this way to buy a handgun to protect your family. The last thing you want to do is lose everything because you did protect your family with that gun. Hey, I'm running low on bourbon. What's your other point? All right, all right, all right. Relax. <laughs> you don't have any down here in the basement. That's the problem. i got to go back up to the bar. Uh, well, you know, I told you bring the bottle. <laughs> okay. You don't let me have one anymore. I will. Well, it's because you keep breaking it. Okay, so the last point here is you know, other self-defense training and preparation for self-defense in a shit-hits-the-fan situation. You know, what we've talked about so far is what happens when you're in your home. You know, you're defending your home and defending your family. We've covered that. But there are other situations where you're not in the home. You're in a crowd. You're in a, you know, a natural disaster. It's very important and to understand that those situations are totally different, especially when a gun's involved. So you may not have that weapon. How do, you, how do you get away from certain situations? What are the things you need to look for? You know, one of the biggest things that drives me nuts is people are so self-absorbed and not aware of the surroundings or the situation around them. I encountered this driving downtown into the, into the downtown area. You'll go through an intersection, and there's somebody who walks right into the intersection because they're too busy to look at the phone. But their earbuds in, don't have a clue around them. You've got to be aware of your surroundings. I don't expect people to walk around like some meerkat, constantly looking over their shoulder, waiting for you know a hawk to swoop down. But if you've got your head down and you're not paying attention, you're asking to be a victim, and that's sure. that's really something that you need to be aware of. You know, and again, no, you're absolutely right. Most people who are victims paint themselves as victims. Absolutely, not everyone. Not everyone. No, but the majority. Uh, you know, if you if you prove to the uh, predator that you are a slow-moving gazelle, he's going to look at you. You're lunch. Yep. You are lunch. And then the other thing is, you know, in, in a situation where, you know, it's a natural disaster, you've got to evacuate, you've got to bug out. Again, it's important to understand what do you do for a self-defense self, self situation. You know, if you've got a concealed carry permit, it's, it's important you have that with you, you've got that weapon with you. But understand, you may be going to a shelter that they're going to maybe check you for those weapons, you know, maybe not let you come into that shelter. So you've got to, you know, again, we don't have the, the time or the resources right now to go through the millions of things that you need to do in that kind of situation, how to prepare for it. Again, there are a million reputable sources out there. You know, Survival Dispatch is a great resource to look you know, at on YouTube. There's a lot of them out there to help you kind of get an idea of what to do in those SCHF situations. But just, I just want to bring it up as a as a point to you know, yeah, 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 okay. well, right. yeah right. I had it right. I know I had it right. Just to be aware of, again, self defense is not always going to be that, you know, clean situation that you've seen in a book. 
It's no, no different than sure. people wouldn't talk about it endlessly like they do. Yeah, they do. And again, you know, everybody's got an opinion. What you know, what Sarah and I have talked about tonight, take that with a grain of salt. Obey me. Your mileage may vary. These are our opinions. This is not legal advice. This is not a tutorial on how to shoot. It's just a conversation to get you to think that, you know, that's a good point. I never thought of it that way. Or I totally disagree, but why do I disagree with that? I don't care that you disagree with me. That's that's what makes this country great. But I yeah, just want you to think so much better than talking about soccer. Oh my god, soccer. First of all, it's European. Strikeouts are boring. Besides that, they're fascist. No. Oh my god. It's bad enough I got I shoot a nine millimeter. It's metric. Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, I appreciate you coming to the basement. I'll get out. Yeah, it's nice. No, I know. You gotta get back to work. It's it's uh whatever you're working on is pretty cool. It's this big thing with like this blue light that orbits it. I have no Silence. idea. Silence. <laughs> I won't say anymore. Obey me. Uh, I'm going to get back up to the bar because even my ice is melted. So, oh, well, that's probably the blue beam. The beam. <laughs> so it could be. I am feeling a little bit warm in the crotch, too. The radiation, yeah, well. Oh, well. Well, well thank uh, our, our loyal listeners have uh, probably enjoyed this conversation immensely. I think we've given uh, Gort at least a lot to edit out. But, uh, folks, any questions, we're here for you. So, um, And if nothing. And if nothing else, this should prove is you know proof of life that I do really exist and I am still alive. <laughs> Who do you think retweets on on Twitter all the time? Well, that's it's me funny. mostly. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, good night, good night, folks. Good night, everyone. Don't forget to obey the mandate. Obey me. The uh, wind blasted heights, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, and then. There's like the screeching noises, and then uh, and then I think Fleece Stack hisses for a little bit.